Hi guys, welcome. It's Naomi Tucker here, temporarily taking over the reins from Peter Thomas Fonatel for this week's In the Ring Pedigree podcast. As you can tell, we're shaking things up with today's show consisting of an exclusive Godet family interview. Young trainer Lacey Godet shares the insight she's gained over the last two decades or so, having grown up in the horse racing industry. One of the things she highlighted that really stood out to me is that regardless of your gender or age, people won't go easy on you, and that is understandable. Her mother, Linda Godet, assistant and former trainer herself, also made an appearance, sharing some special memories regarding her late husband, the well-respected Eddie Godet. So let's go to the interview and do bear in mind we were in the Godet barn at Laurel Park, so there might be some background noise. One of the young and up-and-coming trainers here at Laurel Park, Maryland native Lacey Goddard, has graciously given her time for us to talk to her today. Lacey, how's your morning been going so far? Uh, surprisingly well for our first day back to work. Says so Tuesdays, uh, Monday we walk, so usually Tuesdays are a little dodgy, but it, it went it went pretty well. You come from a racing family. Your late father started out training and you joined him. How much has your family meant to you growing up in racing and in setting up your business? Uh, it's been, I, I mean, I couldn't have ever done it without him. I wouldn't have started it without him. I definitely wouldn't have stayed in this uh, without them and without their support. But I mean, my mom still works day in and day out with me. And uh, I just learned so much knowledge from my father and it was nice to go out and work under some other people um, for a little while, but ultimately coming home and, and working with my family, was, it's not always easy, but it uh, it's definitely the place that I that I belonged. So. Was it always horse talk around a table at dinners? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, my sister, uh, well, Gabby, everybody knows her now. She's like, you know, huge in the sport, but uh, growing up, she was in college and a soccer star and very academic. So she kind of felt a little bit left out at the, at the dinner table. So it would be really funny to take her back maybe uh, 10 or 15 years now and have her knowledge at the dinner table. Because if you could have told me when we were growing up and sitting at the table, 15 and 18 years old, um, that she would know more about the industry than I do, uh, I probably wouldn't have believed anybody. <laughs> Talking about being a 15-year-old, I read that you started galloping at that age, but that wasn't at the time allowed yet. How did that work out? Yeah, so we had the farm. We always had a lot of young riders start up at the farm, um, 14, 15, 16. But a lot of young riders want to start their apprenticeship when they are 16. And if you're, my dad always thought it was silly that if you aren't able to ride on the racetrack, how are you able to start your career at 16 and also start galloping at 16? He just they never thought it made much sense. And obviously there were a lot of kids that came up, you know, from like South Carolina at the time um, that would be well polished by the time they got up here. But it's still not quite the same as being on the racetrack every day. You got the rule changed. You were allowed to work for your guardian or parent at 15 and give you an extra year before you wanted to ride races. So. At one point, I did want to ride races, and that was a very fleeting, <laughs> fleeting aspiration. So I remember you telling me that you wanted to be a jockey at some point. Yeah, I rode a couple amateur races and was kind of getting ready to start at the beginning of the year, and I wasn't polished enough. And then when I was polished enough, I was a little too heavy. So it was, uh, as my dad would say, it was uh, hard to keep me out of the feed tub. So it, 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 it didn't last very long. <laughs> 
how do you think that's affected you as a trainer though being able to gallop wanting to ride races has that changed the way you look at your riders how you educate them and how you like to see your horses ridden oh absolutely i mean i you know still gallop every day and it earns great respect from the people that you work with too especially when you have riders and they'll say you know hey this horse we could change this or we could change that why don't you get on them and tell me what you think and we will bounce ideas back and forth but it's really nice to have that knowledge of saying we know what will and won't work. So no, it's it's been great. I can I can breeze my own and even just being able to ride the pony and being side by side or going company. You learn a lot of different views about each of your horses by being able to get on them. So no, it's been unbelievable to have that added to it. After having worked with your father for a good while, you joined Helen Pitts, who herself is a female trainer. Was that a reason for you to join her in this traditionally male-dominated industry? Yeah, my dad had a lot of respect for Helen and her family. My goal was to definitely go to Florida for the winter, and I reached out to a few people. I think at the time, I did look out to try and work for Bill Mott and things like that, but he always stayed up a little bit further, you know, by Pace and Park and stuff like that. And I really wanted to be in the thick of it at Gulfstream and get the whole experience, because I knew I wouldn't be away from home for too long. And, um... So when I went to work for Helen, and plus I lived with her down there, my dad knew as a young woman that she would take care of me, look after me a little bit, and kind of show me the ropes, and she did. I mean, she and the women that worked for her down there just really took me under their wing, and I learned so much. And the same thing, they all worked hand in hand. There wasn't anything that they couldn't do better than their male counterparts, and it was just so great to see that and to work underneath that. And they were all strong, powerful women, and they galloped, they worked hard, they held their own, you know, they weren't, they were a little boisterous and they definitely, you know, they, they stood up for themselves. And that was, I think that was a, a big foundation that really helped me. I mean, I was 18. So yeah, it was a big help. Just wanted to go back to one of my first days here. We were standing on the rail, we were watching horses canter towards the start and you told me a story about how someone came up to you to talk to you about the fact that you are a female trainer. Would you be able to share that with us here? Yeah, sure. I was just walking to my car at the end of the day and, you know, I'm carrying our, our bag, our logo bag shows that at least what team we represent. And the gentleman asked me if I was Lacey Godet. And I said yes. And he stood up and kind of condescendingly, but it was a legitimate question. He was really, he really wanted to know the answer to this. And he said, do you find it difficult being a woman in a male dominated sport? Do you think that you can make it in this game? And I just kind of looked at him and got in the car and, and drove off. And I, that, that, I've, I've never felt slighted in any way, maybe because I grew up in it. And a lot of people had respect for my father, but especially here in Maryland and, and as I travel, we have. My sister and I were brought up great. My parents did a wonderful job raising us. So no, we always held held our own and earned our own respect. And so no, I've, I've never really felt, <laughs> never been, it's never been an issue. You mentioned you worked for other trainers as well. After working with your dad, with Helen Pitts, where did your career take you? So I worked for Helen and I came home for a little while. I always wanted to go to Saratoga. We were pretty crowded in my dad's stable at the time. So I think we went to Delaware. We had a little bit of a misfortune where we lost a pretty big client. I think we went from having 30 horses to maybe, you know, 10 of our own. We were kind of on top of each other help wise and stuff. So I said, well, you know what? This is a great opportunity. And, and actually we were in Delaware. We were in the barn with um, Lou Albatroni and I said, I, oh, you know, I'd love to go to New York. And he said, well, why don't I call my brother, Tom, and see if, if I can help you out. And, and he did. And I drove up to Belmont early one morning. 
you know, dressed real professional. I was going to Gallup and, you know, but I had my slacks on. I dressed all in black, real tidy and everything. And I think it was probably the second or third horse I got on for Tom. And I, I went to the main track at Belmont and he told me how to gallop this horse and I get dropped on the backside. And I'm like, oh, this is surely not a way to get hired. I have very little upper strength ability to be able to swing myself up onto a horse, but I must have been just burning at the time and I got myself back up. So you kept a hold of the horse? Yeah, uh uh-huh, held on to her, didn't have anybody give me a leg up, I swung back up on her, finished out the gallop. Tom honestly didn't even, didn't ever saw it because Belmont is so big, so, and he had, you know, about five or six out there and I came back and obviously still told him. He was like, well, I guess it didn't, you know, wasn't too much of a bother. So I, I moved back up a few weeks later on Belmont Day and, and started working for, for Tom. I worked at Belmont for, I guess, probably about two months and was going to go to Saratoga with him. Belmont kind of burnt me out. Long Island, I think, is a very special place for some people. It's, it was tough to be at Belmont. I, I wasn't really happy there. I mean, here, you know, we grew up on a farm and it's, it's a lot of work and it just, I just didn't really fit with working in, in Belmont. So I came home, took a couple of weeks. Al and Iwinski, it was a good f- friend of our families and knew my dad well. And he said, I saw that Lacey was here. I see that she's not anymore. Does she need a job? I'd love her to come to Saratoga for me. And so I did, I took the job. Alan absolutely worked me to the bone up there. I, I got on so many horses. We had so much activity between, you know, here in Maryland, it's pretty laid back. We run a horse or two a day. It's fairly quiet. In New York, we're paddock schooling in the morning, paddock schooling in the afternoon, running a bunch, claiming some, you know, so there was a lot of action and it was a lot of work. But I learned so much with Alan and I don't think I was quite, I wasn't that tough before I worked for Alan. And he made me toughen up and I he he really eliminated can't from my vocabulary there were a lot of days I called my mom crying you know just saying I wasn't going to be able to make it and Alan helped me to push through it and it was a great learning experience I mean I, I value my time with with Alan so much and I was supposed to go back to Belmont with him but just being there in the spring it wasn't it just wasn't my place so Alan really wanted me to come back there with him but I I didn't I just came home and, and went back to work with my parents but Alan was definitely like a father figure and he I, I really look up to him he he taught me a lot about horses and and work ethic and and things like that what did your mom tell you when you rang her I think she said, you know, stick it out. You want to, you know, you wanted to be there. And at any point that I ever wanted to come home, I obviously was very welcome to. But I think it was a big achievement for myself and to my mom that I went to Saratoga and made it no matter how many. I mean, we, I was working from four o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night by the time we left the barn, you know, but I was very glad that I stuck through it. Having worked with these top level trainers are there things that you took away from them and that you're now implementing in your own training regime oh yeah absolutely just the things that I that I wasn't really keen on before I left my mom always did the did the feed program supplement program I learned all three of them I learned a lot of that from less is more more is better different things like that all around just how you train horses Tom had the best horses in the country at the time at the time that I was working for him and then Alan had the cheap claimers that I was kind of used to it was a whole Helen sold a lot of really nice young horses that she she conditioned and got ready as young horses and and just did a fabulous job with all things that my dad had in his barn but I think 
being away from home singularly stood out in each different operation that I worked in. Whereas home, you kind of just work for your parents. So you kind of go with the flow and go with the, the motions. But it was things that I really took away from each different operation when I was when I was out. Being around other trainers too. I mean, seeing how other operations worked and the way that they are organized and run their organization. I've been very fortunate to spend some time with you in the mornings. Would you be able to give me some examples of the things that you do in particular? For example, when it comes to shoeing and rugging your horses? Let's see. So shoes, we pay a lot of attention to feet. We do, we like glue on shoes. We really pay attention to that. If, if horses really aren't getting along with the nails in their feet, we will make that change. We have two round pens here. We usually really like to get them out there, let them roll and relax. Again, you were just kind of walking up and down the shed row with us. In the mornings, I come in, I check all the legs myself. And then at the end of the morning, whether I have been on them myself or I'm out there watching them train, I'll come back and kind of give the grooms rundown of how I'd like their legs worked on that day. My grooms are, are fantastic. They'll tell me if there's any little bit of heat or a nick or anything that they get in the stalls the night before. So just a lot of communication in the barn or even they'll be, I'll walk up and down the shed row and they'll say, hey, come here, you know, look at this and we'll just spot treat everybody. Definitely individual program. Each groom has certain horses for a reason. Some of the grooms are better with the quiet horses. Some are better with the babies. Some are better with the high maintenance colts that we have. So, you know, really just getting them to be with the best hand that they can be. Groom, rider, hot walker, whatever it is. And just really singularly looking after each horse and, and coming up with a day-to-day program that, that makes them individual. Coming from a bit of a handicapping point of view, some of your horses have winter coats, some are clipped, and I know that that's something that your mum implements as well. She likes them to not have too many rugs on. How do you look at this? And, and what kind of tips would you give people when they're looking at your horses in the paddock? Yeah, so my mom, she's seen a lot of odd things happen to horses with their blankets on and it is it's constant maintenance having to correct them they'll go in they'll roll and obviously this this winter has been unbelievable it's been so warm I mean we're at what like 55 almost 60 degrees today so we're sweating here <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit we, we're gonna turn the fans on in a minute but the horses as they get closer to the race I will let their I will let their coats grow in until they get closer to a race as they get closer to running we'll usually clip them like the week before especially if it's if they have a thick coat and it's laid down nicely and they're still shining then obviously they look well we like to you know I like to have my horses looking really well when they go over to the paddock so if their coat is crummy it will get clipped before they go over and I will say I think this is a little bit of an inside tip but if I have come to notice that when the horses grow in like a really ugly, kind of matted, really dull coat, when they get clipped, they look fantastic underneath of them. So everybody always jokes about our big horse, John Jones, as the winter comes on and he gets a horrible winter coat on him. He'll get ready for his winter campaign and we usually brush him up for it because there's some Maryland bread steaks, like the Jennings he was second in the other day. We'll kind of give him a little bit of, of a break up to December, January, February, and he'll look really raggedy and he his coat just looks awful. And then our girl that does our clips will come and, and clip him and everybody will kind of knock him before me like, oh man, you know, I don't think he really looks that great. And I always say, even the feed man the other day was like, oh, this horse doesn't really look that great. And I was like, 
just come back in a week when he's clipped. And I mean, he looks fantastic underneath of it. And it's happened three winters in a row now. So some of the horses that, that look a little crummy, I pay attention to. And I love to go watch that hair just kind of get buzzed off and see how good they look underneath of it. He's one of your special horses in the barn. Uh, what has it meant to you to have a horse with his longevity still be with you? Oh, it's been unbelievable. I mean, you know, obviously whenever you claim a horse for 25000 for a new client, you really... You want to be as aggressive as you can and, you know, make yourself look good and start off on the right foot um, for the new client. For this horse to just maintain what he's done over the last couple of years is, has just been unbelievable and so much fun. I mean, Matt, Shira, he has never questioned what we've done with this horse and initially running him right back into the stake he and his and his racing manager at the time they were like well you know do you really think this horse is that good and and of course obviously we doubted ourselves you know it's 25 to 1 going straight into a stake to the grass and shortening up and it it worked out and you know, he's just he to run him. oh yeah like the the hour we're standing in front of him we're going i'm going lacy he couldn't be better yeah, the hour before the race. I mean, he didn't even have a jockey. Louis Garcia was riding a lot for us at the time, but didn't really, he'd never been on him, didn't cross our mind. You know, obviously I'm sitting, I need to get leading rider. At the time, Louis wasn't one of the leading riders. I got to get the best rider I can for, for this horse because we can't have any excuses. And Louis was kind of hanging around later in the morning. I said, you ride today? And he's like, yeah, I ride a couple. I said, I'm going to put you on this horse. We're going to run. We're going to see what happens. They, they, you know, they had it. They had an unbelievable streak going together and, and Louis really fit the horse. And then, you know, obviously he, he moved, um, moved away in the, in the summer and stuff like that. And he went on to other riders, but to go in 2018 winless. And, you know, I think that was about the time that Matt was kind of like, well, is he really the same? You know, do we think that maybe he needs to be retired or find a little bit of easier spots? And I kept telling him, man, I think things just need to fall in line for him. You know, he's still training great. He's doing really well. And then just 2019 was just an unbelievable year for him. And to watch him definitely not regress as he gets older, you know, stay at that same level is has just been fantastic. Because how old is John Jones now? He's eight. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we claimed him as a four-year-old and... Um, been a been a fun trip here at laurel park or the whole maryland circuit is very competitive and you're currently seven in the current meets trainer standings what are some of the goals that you've set for yourself for this year to do better than last year uh last year was last year was a little weak but we had a lot of young horses last year and a lot of horses that stayed at the top of their class for a while they were a little bit of um, late developing two-year-olds, so a lot of them didn't start until August, September, even into October, and then got quite a few races in, and not many of them, I mean, none of them embarrassed us at all. Uh, they all held their own. So I think that this year we're going to have a really nice group of three-year-olds with a little bit more maturity to them. The claiming was a little bit quiet in Maryland for the, mostly the whole year. In the last month or two, I think we've claimed some really nice horses that are going to really help us over the winter, and just, we're never going to be a huge operation here or an extremely aggressive operation. Same thing. We like to take them as individuals and we like to see the horses excel and try and get to their best. Obviously, we're not going to improve all of them, but we do kind of like to climb up that ladder a little bit and see what the best that we can get out of the, out of the horses are. And I think that we're going to plan to travel a little bit this year. We went to Keeneland in the spring. Unfortunately, we couldn't make it in the fall. So we will try to go back to Keeneland with hopefully a suitable string and get a few more uh, starts under our, our belt. We love going to Saratoga every summer. Uh, that's kind of like our vacation to, 
just to kind of get a change for some things. So we would love to, to keep doing that. And as far as goals go, we love developing young horses. You know, and I, I think just to just to maintain, as long as we have a great group of horses and a good crew that we enjoy coming into work with every morning, that that works hand in hand with us. I think the goals is as far as just uh, continuing to have success is uh, is good enough for us. How many have you got in the stable at the moment, or what's your ideal number, and which horses are you most excited about? We have about 30 right now. We gave some of our nice young horses a, a little bit of a break. So in the spring, we will probably have the most that we've had. We'll probably have about 45 to 50. And then when the two-year-olds come in, you know, we'll be we'll be pretty crowded. We have a nice filly that won Maryland bred filly Golden Lad, who were really, really hot in the fall. She won the allowance race the beginning of January. And we gave What's her a her little... Name? Her name is Long Point Beach. We just gave her a little bit of a freshening. She's coming back. We're going to key her up to for the stake here in March. And she's just a beautiful grand filly. I mean, she's run four times. She's two seconds, two wins. So she's going to be a really nice young horse. We had a, a nice filly win a maiden special way to Princess Adira. A lot of a lot of nice fillies. And we, we gave her a few months off. She'll be back in the spring in a little bit. Other than that, obviously, John Jones, you know, as long as he keeps ticking, we're, we're always happy with that. Excited to see some of the, um, some of the younger horses come in. We, my mom and I bought a nice group of young horses, a few Maryland breads. Ain't None Lucky is a really nice filly too that we got, we took to Saratoga. She was second, she was second here first time out behind Shippy and then she went to Saratoga. She was second up there and then she was third behind British Idiom. So she's really, she's really been complimented by the horses that have beat her. Obviously she's still getting beat. She didn't beat them, but she got some time off uh, and she'll be coming back. I think next month she's getting legged up in Ocala right now. So I think that she'll be a really nice filly that we haven't really kind of gotten to. She'll, she'll, she'll get a little bit better on the grass and stretch out and stuff like that. So she'll be, she'll be nice. So again, another nice filly. So <laughs> we'll definitely have to keep an eye out for the young filly. Yeah. Yeah. Having grown up, a mere stone throw away from Laurel Park. How would you say that the circuit has changed over the last few years? I guess it was probably about 10 years ago. I mean, you know, when other neighboring states started getting revenue from slots in the state, it was it was tough here in Maryland. We were we did not know if we were going to be able to maintain and keep up with everything. And a lot of people left. A lot of people went to parks, even Charlestown, New York, New Jersey. A lot of your Maryland horsemen stayed stayed here and stuck through it. And it's great to have year-round racing in Maryland. When the Stronic Group came in, they made some changes and adjustments, and it's really flourished in the last couple of years. It's a great it's a great place to be. Our our purses are on par with the best. It's, it, the races are competitive. It's not easy here. You know where five years ago it was it was probably a little bit easier and it it keeps you um, among good company too you know I mean sure it's good to be a big fish in a little pond but we have a farm here in Maryland so it's really nice that we've been able to stay here I mean if we had you know we would have had to sell the farm if we were to leave and go somewhere else so it, it's it's been nice to be able to stay here not have to ship much and again being here in Maryland you are still central so if you do have to ship your we're an hour and a half away from Delaware two hours from Philly three from Monmouth Charlestown Penn National and it's still not a bad ship to New York if you have if you have something that you want to go that far up with but and it's a it's a great training facility here they've done a great job on the on the racetrack I mean we I think that we've 
got we definitely had a great winter surface we usually do winter racing is never easy and i think that we we do a great job here in maryland at being able to provide racing through the winter and it's your fields stay light but they're still full and and they are still competitive there's not that many races that you know are are super easy um walkovers so now it's it's been nice to be able to stay in in one place are you planning on staying here for the next few years then, or is there any chance? You said you, you're going to go probably Keeneland, but this will always be your base? Yes, I would always like this to be the base. Racing is good here right now, so yes, I think that this will always be our base, obviously, to get the next caliber of horses and a little bit of a different clientele a base. Um, we have a lot of clients that are not from Maryland that paid attention to Maryland racing, paid attention to us, and chose to have horses here, and that's helped a lot. And to be able to keep them happy and gain some some more people that, you know, being outside and being around a little bit more of elite meets and see, obviously, not every operation has or even ownership group has horses that can elite can compete at the elite all the time. Um, and you do need to have a, you know, a secondary string um, somewhere else. And I think that this is the this is probably one of the best places to to have, a, you know, your secondary string. So, yeah, we would like to have we would like to be among the upper echelon, at least with one or two horses. And for that, we'll probably have to travel a little bit. But this being a main base and training out of here and coming here. Yeah, we would always like this to stay home. If people want to follow in your footsteps, young people starting out in racing, what is any, have you got any advice for them? Be, be strong and don't give up. Always, um, you have to, you have to get in with the right people. It really, really helps, um, especially for young women in the industry. I see so many that come in and you have to have tough skin to do this. And it's not for, it's not for any particular reason. It is because in anything that you do as a woman, you're always going to be slighted a little bit, I think, for a while. And nobody takes it easy on you. Men or women don't take it easy on, on you for your gender or for your age. And it is hard to this new generation that's coming up. Uh, work ethic is has need as to be very very strong, and that is that is hard to find. And every once in a while, you will get people in that enjoy the early mornings and the long days. That helps you be built for it. But getting in with the right group of people is is really the the beginning point. My my dad was so fantastic with that, and I know my mom really enjoys that. She loves taking young people under her wing and and helping them learn if they choose to do this at least for a little while. But my dad was so great with young riders. You know, we had the farm and and things like that. We enjoy it. Uh, we've had a couple of young girls come up underneath of us that are just so strong and so great this one you know we'll always have a spot for next young uh woman or or uh guy that wants to come through well talk about women in the industry your mom has sort of been popping in and out of the office <laughs> linda Gadet joins us here linda how do you feel like your daughter has done so far she's worked very hard she handles things she handles the owners which i've told her i don't want to do i've did it for 40 years with my husband she does all of that i listen to her when she talks to them and has to tell them good news or bad news and she does it in a very professional way uh, they take it well from her we have no you know nobody second uh, second guessing her and her uh, decisions um but she's worked very, very hard. And for some good people, she wanted, I think she probably told you that she wanted to leave the nest and get away from us, as all teenagers do, you know. But then she did come home. And um, 
it's it's been a process because we've worked together since she was 12 and there were times that I wanted to strangle her and she wanted to strangle me but <laughs> I think we've both aged well and now it's like you know symbiotic we she does certain things and I do other things and we work very well and there'll be times ma you got to come and look at this horse I don't know what to do with them and that makes me feel good you know um I still like coming out I'm supposed to be retired I still like coming out every morning. I went down to see Gabby in Florida. I went with her husband to Palmetto's just to get out of the house and go see, you know, somebody else do something the same as training horses anywhere. When we vacation, we go to a racetrack or to a sale. I don't think, you know, we go anywhere else. Every time we go somewhere, it's just pack a bag and put your boots in the, in the suitcase. So um, I've been doing this 47 years. I still love it. Uh, certainly when it's not going well, you get disappointed and discouraged, but then it can be a $5,000 horse. I was watching the filly the other day on Sunday. I was sitting with my 93-year-old mother, and we're watching on my phone, and she's screaming. She's going, she can't get there. She can't get there. And she got there, you know, and it was just like winning the stake because, it, you know, you at least accomplished that. And, uh, and so I told her the other day, she said, we're running her back awfully quickly. I said, but she's happy. You know, she's she's really done well here, and she eats, and that's all you can ask. You know, if she's feeling good and eating well, you run them. So, um, but, you know, for her to have the clientele that she has at her age, whether she's female or male, it is a tough game. It's very, very tough. And you have to have the horses. I mean, you can train horses and do a good job, but if you don't have the, the horse flesh underneath you, it's hard to be successful. So, you know, hopefully, I don't know if she told you, we have, we bought four two-year-olds of our own which will probably go broke feeding for the next year before they all get to the races. But we like young horses. We have one broodmare that she brought back home that we had, uh, we had lost to the claiming ranks, and then she followed her, and she wound up at Penn National. She didn't even tell me. She sent somebody to get her, and, you know, I said, no, we don't, because we had, you know, we had a big farm when they were born. We had a 100-acre farm, 15, 18 broodmares, two stallions, and just kind of downsized um, as we got the kids going. But uh, so we have one broodmare and a foal at home, and next year we'll have, you know, another one. You can't do it if you don't. You don't want to do it. If you don't want to do it, you don't do it because you got to do this every day. People don't understand. There is not a day that she takes off. She went two days. Forty. She didn't make it 48 hours in Florida, and she's, you know, chomping at the bit, bit to get back. I was down there for what five days and had to get to the training center to just watch horses and touch horses, you know. So it, we're, we're silly about it, but um, that's why we do it. I don't know what else we do, that's for sure, you know. Um, in retirement, they wanted me to do this and that, and I said, eh, you know, I don't need to do anything else. I enjoy this too much. But I'm very proud of both girls. They learned a lot from their dad. Wow, I mean, I can't even talk about But he was um, he was a character, and anybody asked, you know, they all remember him, and he taught, he, half the trainers here work for us. Gary Capuano, Dale Capuano, they all worked for us, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. He taught them well. He was he was a good mentor for a lot of riders and just people, jockeys. How many jockeys, not even bug riders, would come to him when they had problems, whether, whether it be money, marital, you know, whatever. Um, he always had very uh, wise words for him, and uh, he was not judgmental at all. He could figure it help you figure it out. So we miss him dearly. But he'd be very proud of the girls. He really would. They've accomplished it a lot in a couple of years, you know. Well, not a couple. Of years. She's been. She's literally been on the race track since she was 12. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. She, <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably go to jail. But you know, she was homeschooled and she did her work. And but she was there every morning and she was running the shed at 14 at Mama the whole summer.
people thought she was 17, 18 years old. She was 14. But as you see, she was, you know, 5'9 at 12 years old, so she could get by with it. Yeah, her dad was so proud of her, wanted to get her license that she could start galloping. Got that. Everybody said, oh, Abby, you can't get that done. He got it done. He could get, he, A lot of these things, people don't realize some of the things that he got done here in, in Maryland. Uh, you know how they how they load middle to out or both ends first and then six or whatever. That was his idea. Why are we waiting to load the twelfth horse to the last? Go half and half. Chamois that they use. He got from the trotting horse people. We went to Meadowlands, and that's what they use on the harness horses. So they 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 learn their skills from a true horseman. They've learned the hard way. They worked hard. They work on the farm. I mean, we still go home every night, feed the dogs, the cats, and the horses. And but um, it's a it's a lifestyle. It definitely is. I never had the pleasure to meet the late Eddie Goddard, but I feel very lucky to have met you both, and I wish you the best of luck, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I think you're doing a great job. Welcome to Maryland. As we're wrapping up today's episode, I'd like to thank Lacey and Linda Goddard for their time and making me feel so welcome here in Maryland. This show has been a production of In The Money Media with Peter Thomas Fornatel, Jonathan Kinchin, and Drew Coatney. And like PTF always says... May the hammer drop your way.